welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 22. You have it on your worship PDF, then we have a call and response. Let's do this thing right now. Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us once again in these digital spaces. Although it's fun for me to be back at Holy Trinity uh, with a couple uh, brothers and sisters as well. So, Lord, whether we are near to Collingswood or far from Collingswood, whether we are near to you or far from you, Thanks for all that are here, and would we meet with the risen Christ. Give your spirit, O Lord, to us, as we would be better citizens of heaven under you and citizens of our world. Mold us, Father, into the ways that we would love God and love people more according to your scriptures. Father, thank you that Jesus gives grace to all that come to him because he was the one that paid the penalty on the cross for us. Father, be with us by your spirit once again. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So everyone has confidence problems, although in different ways. Everyone has confidence problems, although in different ways. For some of us, we may have a confidence problem in terms of not having a whole lot of confidence. And we struggle with that. And I struggle with that sometimes too. So we might have some insecurity. We might have some fearfulness as it relates to relating to other people. And please know that if this is where you are, Jesus and the resources of his gospel, the good news, are ready 
to give you lift. But then, some of us have confidence problems in the other direction, where there's just too much of it. And that is often where I find myself. Travel back with me to Kenner, Louisiana on Williams Boulevard in the late 1980s. There I was with my dad shopping through the aisles of Home Entertainment Video Store. That was the name, Home Entertainment Video Store. We hadn't yet migrated to VHS. We were looking in the Betamax section, which over time got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. We found a movie that fit family movie night. It was my mom, my dad, myself, my little brother, my older sister and brother-in-law. Broadcast News, a classic late 80s comedy. And so Broadcast News is this Hollywood movie love triangle where on one hand you have William Hurt and the setting of this movie is newscasting, major network sort of thing. William Hurt, news anchor, pretty boy, not too smart, really attractive, kind of vain, prima donna. And then on the other hand, you have Albert Brooks, not nearly as good looking, sorry Albert, as William Hurt, but smarter, funnier, and grumpier. And then, torn in the middle, the always awesome Holly Hunter between these two guys, and for her own part, Holly Hunter can be a little bit of a know-it-all. And then at one point in the movie broadcast news, Albert Brooks gets fed up with Holly Hunter and says to her in exasperation, it must be nice to always believe you know better, to always think you're the smartest person in the room. And then Holly Hunter replies this way, no, it's awful. Albert Brooks, must be great thinking you're so smart, smarter than everybody else in the room, and she says, no, it's awful. And in real time, when I was watching this, I didn't hear my older relatives, family members chuckling. When I saw that scene, I pointed to the screen from my rocking chair and said, yeah, that's how I feel. And then it was my dad that said, Jim, you realize that this whole scene and that line was a joke. And I went, ah, oh, yeah, of course, a joke. But then some of those confidence issues have stayed with me. So a couple different examples. If somebody would ask me, hey, Jim, I know you haven't been training for a marathon, but if other people were depending upon you, do you think you could run a marathon today and score a great time? I would say, well, you're right. I haven't been training for this, but let this be for the children. Yes, I will run. Or this example, Say I'm in an airplane, and the airplane's crashing, and the flight attendant comes to me, says, hey, Jim, we're in a nosedive right now, and the pilot has had a heart attack, the co-pilot has stroked out. No, you haven't had training to fly a plane, but do you think you could handle this one? And I would say, well, you're right. I have never flown a plane before, but I've seen the movie Airplane, and so I think I can do this, and don't call me Shirley, or this. If you would ask me, Jim, in your heart of hearts, do you think that you are the best option at quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles and that you can win today? I would say, I can just make it to kick off in San Francisco tonight. So, whether we have overconfidence or underconfidence problems, and I think for most of us, including me, sometimes it's either one or a mixture. Overconfident in some ways, underconfident in other ways, but our confidence issues hurt us 
and harm our ability to relate to other people in community. If we're underconfident, then we struggle. We're intimidated by other people, and we struggle being intimate with those around us, and we'll make decisions that are self-defeating and actually draw us away from community because we're too scared. Or when we're overconfident and have too much pride, the pride issue here is that why should I spend all this time and effort and energy engaging with other people? They're not worth it. They're not worthy for me to be in community with them. So whether we have confidence and pride problems too much or too little, it gets in the way of community. Here we are with another story. People like stories. The early days of not Liberty Collingswood, but of the first Liberty Church in the early 2000s, the Liberty Church, the first one planted in Fairmount. I've mentioned to a couple of you before that in those early days, I was a solo pastor of a small church in West Philadelphia, kind of on my own. The church was not in great shape. And so I would be a fly on the wall every week at the Liberty staff prayer that was on Wednesday mornings. And I was there, it was great, it was not only Liberty pastors, but it was interns, it was residents, it was lay leaders, anybody. And in the early days of the first church, Liberty Fairmount, there were plenty of people that weren't doing anything in the middle of the day as they were grad students and priestess and that sort of thing. So they said, yes, let's go ahead and meet all together at Thursday, 10 a.m. or Wednesday, whatever it was. And I was kind of the guy at the water cooler when people would come in, come out, and I'd go, Hey! And then I go, hey! And there were a couple of awkward moments for them. Because somebody would come up to me at the water cooler and say, So, Jim, are you actually a pastor at, here at Liberty Fairmount? And I'd just sort of stand there and blink. And they'd say, are, are you a lay leader at Liberty Fairmount? No answer. And they'd say, Wait a second, Jim, do you even go to Liberty Fairmount? Do you attend that church? And I'd say, Hey! And hey! And it was all good. But occasionally for those Liberty staff meetings and prayers, pray for about an hour, hour and a half, then have staff meeting, they would take it on the road. And Jeff Bradford, one of the two founding pastors of the Liberty Churches, along with Steve Huber, he had a ton of kids, big soccer dad minivan, and occasionally people would pile into that minivan and do mobile staff meetings and pray in different parts of the city. One time, they came to me and Emily at our home in West Philly and prayed for us. This is what they called the minivan full of Liberty people, a carload of idiots. So I would get texts from Steve Huber and Jeff Bradford, hey Jim, the carload of idiots is going to go to West Philly or the Northeast or Kensington or somewhere else. Let's go. And so there was this traveling road show of Liberty peeps that were the carload of idiots. And that phrase stayed with me. This was ostensibly the, the core of Liberty Church and the nascent Liberty Network, but then at the same time, they were just a carload of idiots. And I love that phrase because I think to myself, isn't that a great description of the church around the world and throughout the ages of Jesus? That even at our best and brightest moments, because of the messes that we are, we're still, at the end of the day, just a carload of idiots. But that's okay. And whether you're watching here this morning as somebody who's a committed follower of Jesus or not sure where you are with spiritual realities, thank you so much for tuning in. We have an opportunity every day, including today, 
to hear from Jesus, get off your high horse. Get over yourself and jump in the carload of idiots. Let's do community together. So two parts from here as we think about community. We're not going to overthink this. We are going to learn community from Jesus here this morning in these two parts for the remainder of the message. Learning community from Jesus as we experience him in the Gospels first, and then as we experience the work of Jesus in our own lives. Learning community from Jesus first from the Gospels and then in our own lives. It's October. Who knew we'd get this far? The world is still here, and we, this fall through the ministry year, through the school year at Liberty Collingswood, we are emphasizing as our ministry, yes, emphasis for this year, community, connecting with each other and inviting others who are not yet with our group, with our fellowship, and our carload of idiots to come on and join. Find community here with each other and with Jesus. It's our sermon series, too, and we're tying these sermons to a book by a guy named Rusty George called Better Together, Discovering the Pattern of Community. And this is the third of three sermons from the first section of that book talking about various barriers to community. And here's what we're going to talk about this morning. What's a barrier for community for us? Well, we think everybody else is an idiot. That's the title of the chapter, Help. Everyone else is an idiot. And as long as we have that pride in ourselves as we think about other people, it is hard to engage in genuine community. George puts it this way. It's easy when you see all the ways things around you could have been handled differently. Or the way you would have done things differently to begin thinking, everyone is an idiot. No one brings any value to the table except me. As a result, we start to distrust letting anyone into our lives. But this is not the example of Jesus of Nazareth. Think about it. Jesus, even though he had lots of disciples and followers that helped him on his mission as we encounter him in the Gospels, the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life, Jesus did not need a team. He could have done it on his own, but he didn't. And of all the people in the history of the world that would have been justified in saying, I'm surrounded by idiots, Jesus pursued community together, even though He was not just once or a one-off, continually misunderstood by those that were closest to him, yet he pushed through and pursued community with them. Which is why I landed for this morning on Matthew chapter 16, the sermon text that I I read a couple of minutes ago, where this is a high point, a climax in the middle of the book for the Gospel of Matthew when it is revealed to the reader through the disciples who Jesus of Nazareth really is. He asks the disciples, who do the others say that the Son of Man is? And they repeat, the disciples, to Jesus what they hear. Well, Jesus, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus turns to them again and says, all right, that's all in good. But who do you say that I am? And just imagine the deep breath that Peter must have taken before he exclaimed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You, Jesus, are the Christ, that word anointed one or Messiah, designated by God from before the foundation of the earth to visit this planet and the cosmos in person, Emmanuel, God with us, 
to bring good news to the broken and the outcast and the poor and the oppressed, those trapped in bondage, those trapped in bondage of sin, to make a new world out of the old one. Jesus will be the representative of God's good blessing to all of the world, to all of the universe, beginning now and in him. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes on to say, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But I love the coda to this scene. If Vegas were putting odds on how this story would end, it would not have gone this way. Climactic moment. The disciples get it. And then Jesus begins to fill in the story. Unexpectedly for the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, he was going to have to die and rise again. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. How's that sound to you, Peter? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. There's a lot of name-calling in this passage. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter. And in the Greek language, that word Peter is related to the word for rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church one more name to be called. Jesus comes back, and because Peter completely misses the boat about him, in the same set of breaths in which he's confessing Jesus is the Christ, hey, Satan, hyperbolically speaking, but yeah, you don't really get it. Jesus chronically misunderstood, and this wasn't just a one-time deal. Later on in Matthew chapter 16, we have what the church is called the transfiguration. So if you're familiar with that story, Jesus goes up on a mountain with Peter and James and John, is joined miraculously by the Old Testament figures Moses and Elijah. The skin of Jesus turns miraculously bright, and they hear a voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Peter and the rest of the disciples don't know what to do. They start acting like pool boys. Hey, everybody, sort of get comfortable. Is there an umbrella drink that I can get for you? This is going to be great. They don't get it. Or in the Gospels, you may have heard of the story of Jesus feeds the 5,000, doing a lot of preaching and teaching, ton of people there. The day's going long. The disciples say, Jesus, you've got to send all these folks home. We don't have enough to feed them. And Jesus says, well, we can give him something to eat. How much food do we have? And it was five loaves of bread and two fishes. Jesus multiplied and miraculously fed all of those thousands. Awesome story. The kicker to me is that in two of the gospel accounts, there's not only the feeding of the 5,000, but later on, the feeding of the 4,000, where the same thing happens. Jesus is preaching to a big crowd. Must have been raining, maybe. It was down to 4,000 from 5,000. Still, a ton of people. Send them home. We don't have enough to eat. The disciples make the same mistake again. And you can feel Jesus thinking on the inside, you've already seen me multiply all this food. And you don't get it. In the early 2000s, I was an early-ish adopter of being a reader of Bill Simmons, who wrote first in Boston, then ESPN, then Grantland, then ESPN Page 2, I guess, in between both of those. Now he's the founder, writer, podcaster on the Ringer Network. 
Back in the old days, people would send Bill Simmons at his AOL email address. I, too, am a proud holder to this day of an AOL email address. Mailbag. They'd send him sports questions, and he'd write them out. And Simmons' stick with the mailbag essay was that as he'd get to the end of the mailbag answering this question about the Celtics, this question about the 49ers, he would typically throw Philadelphia sports teams under the bus. They deserved it. Towards the end, he would start to use and post questions from the readers that became more and more unhinged to the point where they weren't, where they weren't questions at all, just weird statements by weird people. And Bill Simmons would end his mailbag articles with the statement, yes, yep, these are my readers. There are multiple points as we read the Gospels about Jesus where we can picture Jesus looking around and saying, yep, these are my disciples. These are my followers. What's Jesus getting at? Because it seems like it's by design that Jesus has put together this band of bad news bears. If you look at the beginning of John's gospel, when he calls Philip and Nathaniel, they commiserate among themselves, where is this Jesus from, from Nazareth? And they exclaim, can anything good come from Nazareth? Apparently, Nazareth was the New Jersey of the ancient world. Or later on, Jesus calls Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, a tax collector working for the other side, a Jewish person working for the occupying Romans. Everybody hated him. Jesus, why are you adding this guy to the team? And Jesus would take women disciples close to himself. They, they were part of his band, very taboo in that time. And Judas Iscariot, for crying out loud. Just imagine the interview with him. We know the story. Judas would betray Jesus at the end. Imagine Jesus shaking Judas' hand and saying, we believe that you have exactly what it takes to be a productive member of our team. Jesus and community. And he was let down. Before Jesus was arrested, we have the story of him in Gethsemane. And I'm giving you different snapshots from the Gospels to underscore Jesus and as he experienced and related to and built community. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Jesus let down. Soon after that, Jesus goes to his right-hand man, this Peter, his best friend. says, Peter, tonight, after I'm arrested and as I'm being put on trial, you are going to, be, to betray me three times. Peter says, no way. And yet that's exactly what happened. So this Jesus, with a band of bad news bears, continually misunderstood, continually let down, constantly craves and pursues community with these idiots like you and like me. I love a line that the gospel writer Luke gives us as they sit down that same night of his betrayal to the Last Supper and Jesus puts it this way. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
Jesus, more than anybody else, knows exactly what's going to happen to him. And at that last supper, he says, I am really so glad, so glad that I can be here with you. And in the garden before that, remember, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, stay with me. I need you guys right now. Friends, we have a lot to learn, a lot to learn from Jesus of Nazareth as he experiences and pursues community. Rusty George from the book said this, Jesus is willing to satisfy his need for community with those who are not worthy of his company. He's willing to share his deepest, darkest times with those who will fall asleep on him during his greatest trial. If Jesus finds life and mission are better together, shouldn't we? So if you're a follower of Jesus, be moved. Be moved back towards Jesus and towards other people pursuing community with them. And if you're not a follower of Jesus or not sure, would you at least be intrigued There is no ancient figure in the ancient literature of the north or the south or the east or the west around the world who looks and talks and acts like this person. Could it be that Jesus of Nazareth is a worthy savior and a worthy friend even to you and for you today? looking at Jesus in community in the Gospels. Now let's talk for just a couple of minutes about experiencing Jesus and community in our own lives. So we might think to ourselves, I don't really want to do community. It's really hard. I have to be with all of these other people all the time. It's not worth it to me. They're not worthy of me. Help, I'm surrounded by idiots. But understand, if that's what we're thinking, that is the completely wrong paradigm to begin with. And I'll put it this way. The point of being together is being together. The point of being together is being together. That's the whole point. And sometimes, whether talking to people in church or outside of church, it doesn't matter, I'll say, hey, why didn't you go do that thing with other people? And they'll say back, and I've said this before myself, well, I just wasn't going to get anything out of it. That's not the point. The point of being together is being together. It's a category error. Hey, Jim, how'd you like that restaurant? Oh, I didn't like it at all because it didn't give me any more insight about how bad the eagles are. You'd say, wait a second. That's not the point of the restaurant. In community, rather, we have an opportunity to get over ourselves and put other people as more important than we are. And it's true that the best relationships with loved ones and friends that we have, the people that we love to be with are the ones that love to be with us. And sometimes you may have had a friend or a loved one say to you, hey, what are we doing today? And that person says back, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm just happy to be with you. That's true community. And if we struggle within ourselves and say, I need some help here. Everyone around me is an idiot. Look to the cross. Jesus didn't only live this exemplary life, but he died this once-for-all death on the cross and rose again. Jesus, I need help. Everybody around me is an idiot. The cross says to you, well, you know what? So are you. And so am I. And here is a warm fuzzy on a Sunday morning from Pastor Jim. Everyone is terrible, including you and including me. Everyone is terrible, 
including you and including me. That's just how it is. And so the gospel gives us every opportunity to interrogate our own feelings of superiority towards other people in our moments of overconfidence and in our moments of underconfidence. And for me sometimes, I've said, you've heard me say in sermons, we can be selective scorekeepers where we think about ourselves in relation to other people and we take on the scorecard and put there all of the things that we're really, really good at and judge everybody else on the basis of what we're really good at, ignoring what we're bad at and ignoring what they're good at. That's not fair. And so a pattern that I struggle with is that I can get annoyed with the mistakes of other people around me. And, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. We have a couple people in the room, if this is the case with me or not. I, I don't think it's the case that I drop a lot of balls, like small things. Uh, I try to be a person that follows through and all that kind of stuff. I don't make the small mistakes, but I cause a lot of damage. I don't make a lot of small mistakes, But the mistakes that I do make with friends and loved ones and colleagues cause a lot of damage. And so am I really better if I'm thinking about someone else? You didn't send that email three days ago like you said you would. Or maybe that other person is thinking, yeah, but I'm still not over what you said to me or did to me three months or three years ago. That was really damaging. I'm an idiot too. Every Sunday here at Liberty Collingswood, whether here at Holy Trinity before pandemic or pre-recording or Kathleen here this morning, we have a confession of sin. And we should because we sin every week. The pattern that I can fall into sometimes though is confessing one little sin from this week over here, one little sin from this week over there. But we not only need to to confess the surface things on any given week, but the deep patterns as well. What are the patterns and dispositions of my heart for which I need to call out to Jesus, forgive me, you've died for these things on the cross for me, you've paid the penalty for that sin, would I know your forgiveness and newness of life this day? And if you're somebody that struggles occasionally or more than occasionally with underconfidence, hear what I said earlier, Jesus gives you lift when we can be hanging on and longing for acceptance and approval from other people, if you're somebody that comes to Jesus of Nazareth, know that you have the acceptance and approval completely and forever that you'll ever need, and it doesn't depend on your awesomeness, but upon Jesus, so that as a secure person, you can relate to others. What if I'm a bigger idiot than they are? It doesn't matter, because you are secure in Jesus. And you can also think about how sometimes when we feel inferior to other people, there's a backdoor pride that can keep in, creep in. I was reading on Thursday night a little bit about D.H. Lawrence, and he wrote centuries ago in his novel Sons and Lovers about a person who was standoffish towards community, but this is what he observed about her. She must have something to reinforce her pride because she felt different from other people. She was underconfident, struggled to relate to other people, and at the same time, looked for other things to reinforce her pride. So if you struggle with underconfidence, Jesus lifts you, Jesus lifts us, and also chastens us at the same time. I'll just say this real quick. Busyness can also be another form of pride. And, you know, we're modern people. We're busy in so many ways. That's just kind of what it is in 2020, in the 21st century. But even as we're busy, I'm not saying that it's all of it, but some of it. 
in our busyness, there's pride. So if I never have time for other people, and it's only me all the time thinking I can just do stuff for myself and just do stuff for my family, isn't there a prideful thread there where at some level I must be thinking that myself and my family are a million times more important than anybody else? We need Jesus' life and we need Jesus' death. So what steps can you take towards Jesus and towards other people? Eric mentioned earlier about small groups. That's a great step. And our small groups are laboratories of learning some things, of praying some things. But the main point is being with each other, a laboratory of doing community together. Sign up for one. Whether you're a believer of Jesus or not, whether you're near or geographically far from us. Some of them are capped, others are not. There are great opportunities to put this into practice. The bottom line good news is that Jesus doesn't believe in you. Jesus doesn't believe in us. But he died for us and rose again and gives us the opportunity to join the carload of idiots. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We would want to be in that number. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.